Arsenal receive a double injury boost as they prepare to hop across the channel for their first UEFA Champions League away day in a while. We've got you covered on the big match preview right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Let's go. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and on this edition of the show, we're going to look ahead to Arsenal's trip to Lons tomorrow in the UEFA Champions League. That's right, the big match preview here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast is back, and I can't wait to get stuck into this one. A first UEFA Champions League away day for the Gunners in quite some time. I'll be heading to Lons tomorrow, looking forward uh, to being there, looking forward to taking it all in, to soaking up the atmosphere and, of course, uh, bringing you guys some content via social media and all the rest of it over the course of the evening. Uh, I'm going to try and film some sort of little blog piece as well for those of you that can't make the trip so you can get a little bit of a feel of kind of what it was like, the journey, um, whether the Arsenal fans were in good voice and some of the build-up and, and all the rest of it. So really, really looking forward to hopefully piecing that together on my long journey home. I'm not driving. Um, big shout out to my friend, Dimmy. He'll be driving. So uh, that frees my hands up to uh, to get busy on the laptop on the way back and get some content uh, out uh, ready for you guys when you wake up in the morning. Um, hope everyone's good. Hope everyone's well. Hope everybody's had a good Monday. Mondays are always that bit easier, aren't they? And that bit better off the back of an Arsenal victory. Uh, let's say a few hellos. We've got Andreas in the chat. We've got Vlad. We've got Viju. Cesar is with us. Uh, Moss uh, says, let's keep that four goals Champions League average going. Of course, the Gunners scoring four against PSV Eindhoven. Can they keep it up? I don't envisage it being that easy on our travels. It is the Champions League. No matter what people say about Lons and their current state and all the rest of it, and people have been saying a lot, it's still a Champions League game. They're still going to pose some problems and they're still a dangerous opponent. We'll get into why a little bit later on in the programme. We were going to react to Mikel Arteta's press conference. That was part of the plan uh, on this uh, preview podcast. But unfortunately for us, um, I don't know if it's even started yet. Um, I, I looked a little bit earlier on um, on the Football.London website after Arsenal themselves revealed that the press conference was due to take place at 6pm. And I've just had a look on the football.london uh, website, the live blog now, and it says, slight delay, we're still waiting for Arsenal to arrive here at the Stade Bolair. Um, the Gunners have had some delays on their travel over from London and might not be here for a while yet. God, that doesn't make me feel confident ahead of my trip and my journey over there uh, tomorrow. But that means we're going to have to skip that part. We're not going to be able to react to Mikel Arteta's press conference comments on this edition of the podcast. So I do apologize. It's nothing to do with me. Um, it's it's the travel. Blame it on the travel. But we've got plenty to be getting on with uh, discussing anyway. Let's start off uh, with some of the observations made from today's training session. Some really positive news. Both Thomas Partey and Bukayo Saka, who I told you was fine, by the way, uh, yesterday, were both involved in full training. That is a massive, massive boost for the Gunners. A, because 
I know people were concerned about the fact that Mikel Arteta had to take Bukayo Saka off again, um, ha having got a kick, having picked up a knock uh, down at Bournemouth at the weekend. Um, and obviously people uh, have been frustrated by the fact that Thomas Partey um, has picked up another injury. You know, every time we seem to get everybody fit, everybody ready, and we were in a place where I felt like we were going to start to, with Zinchenko coming back into the side, start to hopefully see or possibly see what I believe is the dream midfield for Arsenal right now, which is a trio of Declan Rice, Thomas Partey and Martin Odegaard. Then, of course, Partey picks up that injury. That becomes impossible. We start talking about Kai Havertz and Fabio Vieira and all the rest of it. And I think both of those players are really, really talented players. But for me, to have the best balance, you play with Partey and you play with Rice and you give Odegaard that little bit more freedom on that right side. Rice getting advanced when he can and when he wants to on that left-hand side. But given his history of playing in the defensive midfield position, the fact that he's playing that for us right now, you always feel like he's useful in terms of tucking in alongside Partey and giving us that bit of stability in certain games and in certain moments when we need it. But look, great to hear that Thomas Partey is ahead of schedule because we all heard initially that he wasn't going to return until after the international break. Is he in contention to play against Manchester City at the weekend? Possibly. Not sure that I'd risk him in this one. But then again, does he need minutes um, in order to get himself up to a point where he's ready to start against Manchester City? Potentially. I just think that right now with Rodri absent and us witnessing what the de-Rodrification of Manchester City can do in that they've lost a couple of games now. I just wonder if I would take that risk if I was Mikel Arteta, because just imagine a midfield of Partey and Rice and Odegaard. I think that would dominate a Manchester City that are Rodriless. So, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I'd be tempted, I have to say. But look, the club will know way more about where Thomas Partey is at in terms of his recovery. They'll know way more about the, the level of workload that he can take and all the rest of it. And um, so I'll leave that decision to them. But I have to say, I would be tempted to give Thomas Partey some minutes on this trip to Lons, uh, providing that everything goes to plan and then bringing him back into the side at the weekend, if, of course, he is ready. So he's uh, back in training. There was a video going around earlier on of him being welcomed back into training by his teammates, which was great to see. And Bukayo Saka, of course, involved in the session too. On the negative side, still no sign of Gabriel Martinelli. Now, I always felt that the club were keeping their cards close to their chest on this one. A hamstring issue is something that you've got to be really, really careful with. And I think a telltale sign of the severity of Gabriel Martinelli's injury, even when Arsenal didn't want it out in the public domain, and even when Arsenal were trying to keep people guessing, suggesting that he could have been available um, first for the Spurs game and then for the Bournemouth game. You know, obviously there was talk that he might have even been available for Brentford in the Cup, and that didn't happen either. So I think one of the telltale signs was the fact that Brazil decided not to pick him in their squad for the upcoming international break. That kind of said to me that there's been maybe some communication behind the scenes between Arsenal and Brazil. Arsenal have said, look, he's not going to be ready. He's not going to be fit. Brazil felt that his chances of being fit were slim and therefore decided to, to swerve that and swerve picking him. Uh, you know, that made me think that actually maybe Arteta was bluffing a little bit. We know he bluffed with some other players uh, over the course of the weekend just gone. We were led to believe on Friday that we had no bloody team 
And then five of the six players that were named as doubts ended up coming uh, along down to the South Coast and ended up featuring in some way, whether that be on the bench um, or, of course, in the starting 11 as well. Um, but yeah, let's go over to the comments. Let's see what you guys are saying as well. Um, Joe says, um, don't jinx it with Saka. Yeah, you're right. Good point. Uh, Mohammed says, hey, Harry, hope you're good, mate. Positive vibes at the club. So definitely a good thing before going into the weekend crunch match. Uh, big hello to Eric, who joins us as well. Joe Allen uh, says, what is the status of Martinelli and Trossard? We, we touched on that. Uh, just a minute ago. I know you asked the question before. I'm just getting around to it. My bad. Um, but yeah, look, no sign of Martinelli in training, which suggests that he's not going to be available uh, for the trip to France. But uh, Leandro Trossard was on the bench at the weekend. So I'd imagine he's going to be in the squad and play some role um, tomorrow night. Uh, Foluso says, can't wait to see Partey, Rice and Odegaard in the midfield against City. For me, that is Arsenal's premium midfield. That is the perfect blend, the perfect balance. It's everything that you want to see from an Arsenal midfield. And I hope uh, that we get to see that as well, of course. Um, Joe Allen is asking whether I think that he would start Partey over Havertz, even with his bias and him being Mikel Arteta towards Kai Havertz. So, we talked about this earlier on in the season, but let me just kind of revisit it quickly just to kind of clarify my stance on this. So I've always said from the beginning of the season, before it even kicked off, before Arsenal had kicked the ball in the 23-24 campaign, that for me, Arsenal's most balanced midfield, I beg your pardon, uh, that for me, Arsenal's, did, you, did that sneeze come through on the microphone? I'm sorry if it did. I tried to press mute in time. But anyway, for me, Arsenal's most balanced midfield is Partey at the base, Rice playing in the left eight slash being able to drop in as part of the base uh, when needed, and um, and uh, Martin Odegaard playing in the right eight position. That, for me, is, is number one. That's top. And at the start of the season, when we had Rice and Partey fit, a lot of people couldn't understand why Thomas Partey, for example, was playing at right back. And people wondered if that was Mikel Arteta trying to be too clever, if he was trying to play... Um, with a more advanced player because he felt like we were going to face a lot of low blocks at the start of the season, given the opposition that we were uh, facing. And I think there was an element of that in his thinking. But I also think a big part of his thinking was the fact that without Zinchenko, he wanted a midfield player that could step into midfield. And when you look at a defensive player, I beg your pardon, that could step into midfield. And when you think about the alternative options that we have, None of them can do the midfield role like Thomas Partey could. And with Declan Rice, they're offering that little bit more stability. He probably thought that that was a, a good fix, a good workaround. I still think there will be some games where we're facing low blocks, lower ranked sides, where Mikel Arteta will probably look at it and think, I don't need Partey and Rice in this team. And given Partey's injury record, I'd want to protect him where possible. I'd want to limit his minutes. I'd want to make sure that he is fit and available when we really desperately need him there will be games where we don't. But I also think a lot of the decision to do that was because of Zinchenko's absence. And I actually think that Mikel Arteta, particularly in the big games, particularly against the sides he respects, and we know that he respects Manchester City immensely for obvious reasons. I think that's the type of game you could see him, if Partey is fit enough, reverting back to that. Because let's not forget, he started that way in the Community Shield. He started that way in the season's curtain raiser. And he had Jurian Timber at left back that day, who was so comfortable on the ball that he could go into midfield. 
Once we lost him and we were without Zinchenko, then you're talking about Tommy Asu playing at left back and going into midfield. For me, it doesn't really work. You're talking about Jakub Kivio doing it, who maybe is a little bit more comfortable than Takahiro Tommy Asu, but ultimately he's still a centre-back. He's still a bit clunky for me when he goes into midfield. So I think that was the thinking behind it. And I do think that, you know, we will see that part a part. Oh, what's happened here? What has happened here? Hold on a second. Yep, I think you can hear me just about. Of course, my microphone's decided to go off again in the middle of a podcast, which is incredible. I've got the Tom Canton curse, I think, um, with this microphone. Bear with me one second. Let me just um let me just I think we're back. The Tom Canton curse has lifted the curse of the microphone, for God's sake. Um, anyway, um, I think, yeah, when he had different options, um, you know, like Timber, who could come in in that left-sided position and then step into midfield, I think he was more comfortable doing that. Um, but of course, without those players, he, he felt like the only way to really give his team that was by putting Thomas Partey there. He had Declan Rice to provide that stability in the middle, etc., etc., and um, and that was the way he went. <laughs> you guys are laughing at the uh, Tom Canton curse comment. Um, yeah, these microphones. Um, do you know what? I think it all stems from the fact that because we use so many USB devices, we have to use splitters, and um, those splitters are a little bit temperamental. Mine is fine unless you knock it. Unless you knock something on the desk and it just shakes a little bit and it all goes to shit. But anyway, we're back. Apologies uh, about that uh, little minor um, delay in the continuation of the show. Anyway, as I say, we were going to talk Mikel Arteta's press conference, but he hasn't bloody given it yet because Arsenal are yet to arrive at the stadium at the time of recording. So we're going to take a short pause and we're going to look at our opponents. RC Lons, what can we expect from the French outfit tomorrow? <laughs> Right then, right then, right then. Let's uh, let's do this. Um, R.C. Lons of France, of Ligue 1, our opponents tomorrow. Currently sitting 15th out of 18 in France in Ligue 1, which doesn't bode well. They've picked up just seven points from their seven league games so far. They've lost four of those for context. And it's always important to add context. Three of those... Um, Four defeats have come at the hands of Paris Saint-Germain, the best team in France. I think we can all agree on that. Monaco, uh, who are a strong side at this moment, currently the parish in which following Balogun uh, presides. And then you've got Brest as well, uh, who are sitting right at the top of Ligue 1 at the moment. Those are three of the four teams that have beaten Lorne. So it's been a tough start for them fixtures-wise. They were runners-up last season. That surprised people. That shocked people. But there is talent within their ranks, despite, um, of course, uh, the way things have gone for them at the start of the season. They did win on Friday night. Uh, they won at Strasbourg. El Yawahi uh, was the scorer in a 1-0 away win. And we'll come on to him in just a minute. But I think it's I think it's always interesting, right? Because 
we look at teams' position in the league table and we go, well, you know, they're no good at the moment. They're not performing. They're not producing in league good. Therefore, this should be a walkover. There's a couple of things that you've got to bear in mind here. So, A, I'm told that this is a really, really atmospheric stadium. Really, really difficult place to go and play your football. B, as I say, you've got to apply the context as to why Lawns have had the difficult start that they have. But the most important thing is this is the Champions League. And aside that are there on merit because of what they produced three, four months ago. Something as recent as that should not be slept on regardless. This is a big, big night for this football club. A big, big night. They've got one of the Premier League big boys come into town. There is that French versus English rivalry. You know, they're probably sick to death of hearing people call their league a farmer's league and all the rest of it. And I think Lons will be right up for this. And I think that, you know, we're going to have to be at a high level if we're going to come through this one, A, with all three points, but B, without sort of exerting ourselves too much and without it being too taxing. And that's important given the game that we've got against Manchester City uh, coming up on Sunday. What I will say is that we can't afford to obsess over that Manchester City game. But if we're going to sit here and pretend that it won't be in anybody's thinking, we'd be lying, right? Because it is a real heavyweight clash in the Premier League. They've dropped points, um, of course, at Wolves at the weekend, and it's an opportunity for Arsenal to leapfrog them. Now, yes, it's only going to be eight games into the season, and you shouldn't read into that, particularly after what happened to us last season. But it's a real opportunity for us to get that monkey off our backs, to beat Manchester City, prove to ourselves that we can beat Manchester City. And the confidence boost that would give this young group, I think, would be huge. So Sunday's game is of big, big significance, despite how early in the season it comes. Um, but you can't afford to be focusing on that. You know, you can have it in your mind. You can have it occupying, I don't know, 5% of your thoughts, but no more than that, because the minute you go to more than that, it becomes dangerous. And as I say, this is a side that, yeah, may be struggling at the start of this league and campaign, but ultimately are in the Champions League because, um, because they deserve to be, you know, and, and that's, that's the thing. Um, Dr. Smith says uh, lawns uh, at their place will be tough. There's a crazy crowd and it will be their first Champions League game at home in 20 odd years, I think. That sounds about right. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely going to be a big occasion for them. So far in the group, they've managed a 1-1 draw at Sevilla. So, again, you know, that proves that they're no mugs. Sevilla, Europa League winners last year, not for the first time, mind you. Um, but they were held at home by Lons. So this is a side that can travel and a side that you expect will be even stronger on home turf. Now, I think we're a far better side than Sevilla, so that I'm not reading into that too much, but it just sets a base of where they're at in terms of their level. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. I think it's going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be an interesting test. Will Mikel Arteta make changes? I think he will make some changes. I don't know to how far an extent he'll go on that. And I'm going to share with you guys my lineup in a minute. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, it, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one to know really how to approach it because I keep saying, stop thinking about Manchester City. Yes, that will be in the back of our minds somewhere, but primarily we've got to focus on this. And, you know, if we can get points on the board early on in this group, then we'll be in a position where we can probably take our foot off the gas towards the end of the group and rest players then. You know, give people a breather then. I think at this stage, you want to be fighting. You want to be earning the points. You want to make sure that you wrap up top spot in the group, which obviously can prove important when you move into the next round. 
So I think we've waited a long, long time to be in the Champions League and we want to make the most of this opportunity. I actually think we have a greater chance of winning the Champions League this year than we do the Premier League. I think it's easier to do. And I don't want to jeopardise our chances of progressing further in the Champions League because we took our foot off the gas. We were complacent. We were arrogant. And we slipped to second in the group, got a killer draw in the round of 16. And from then it all went to shit. So I really, really want to see Arsenal take this one seriously. But I'm now in a place where I believe enough in this squad to say that we can make changes and then not have too much of a negative impact. If you go back to the Brentford game the other night in the League Cup, one of the things I was most impressed with was that, you know, in years gone by when Arteta's made multiple changes, particularly in the Europa League, our performances would be really, really poor, um, really, really dull because of how many changes there were. There wasn't that familiarity between the players. There wasn't that cohesion, those connections. But I thought at Brentford in spells, we showed that there was cohesion, even with seven changes that we made or whatever it was which gives you encouragement about the strength in depth that we now have. This is a squad with strength in depth. Well, what's the point in having that if you're not going to utilise it and you're not going to rotate to good effect? This brings me on nicely to um, my lineup, uh, the team that I would pick to, uh, of course, take on Lons uh, tomorrow night. So let me share this uh, with you guys now. Here we go. So. Um, RC Lons versus Arsenal. Here is Harry's starting 11. So I'm going to go with Aaron Ramsdale in goal. I know David Raya played at the weekend, looked pretty comfortable. Again, uh, another clean sheet for David Raya, which obviously works in his favour in terms of the, uh, the battle between the keepers and all the rest of it. But Aaron Ramsdale absolutely 100% deserves his opportunity in the Champions League. And this is a good opportunity in my mind uh, to, to hand him uh, that Champions League start. I, I was a bit disappointed that he didn't play in the PSV game, not because I don't like David Raya and all the rest of it, but because Aaron Ramsdale was such a big part of us getting back into this competition. For us to, you know, just deny him that or, or deny him any moment in the Champions League, I think would be really, really harsh. So I want to see Aaron Ramsdale come back in. I've got full confidence in him. I thought it was great at Brentford. So I'm going to put him um, back in. Uh, across the back, I'm going to start with Tommy Asu at right back. I think Ben White desperately needs a rest. I think he looked massively leggy um, against Spurs. I thought he looked pretty leggy against Brentford at times as well. And I could see from my sort of uh, reporting position that Mikel Arteta was not happy with his runs up and down the right-hand side at various points in the game. And I put that down to fitness. It's not about attitude with Ben White. We know that he would run through a brick wall for this team. I think it is down to fitness. So I would take him out for this one. Now at centre-back, I would go with William Saliba and Gabriel. Now I know there'll be people out there that say, don't play him, wrap him up in cotton wool. We desperately need him for the weekend. But this comes back to my point of you cannot obsess over the weekend until this fixture is out of the way. And to travel away to a difficult place in a hostile environment against the side that, you know, will be right up for this and have players that can hurt you, the likes of El Yawahi, as I mentioned, who was linked with multiple Premier League clubs um, and other clubs on the continent over the course of the summer. He got his first goal as well uh, the other night against Strasbourg. So he'll be buzzing. He'll have a bit between his teeth. I think that you want to at least be solid at your core. And that's why I'd go with our two first choice uh, centre-backs. 
I'd also put Jakob Givior in at left back because I think he gives us solidity, the type of solidity that Zinchenko doesn't. He won't go into midfield as confidently and he's less likely to play through the lines and set you up on fluent attacking moves because he just isn't Alexander Zinchenko. But if you're looking for solidity, which I think is what you want when you go to a place like this first and foremost, then he plays for me at left back. Moving into midfield, I'd go with Jorginho at the base. If there are any question marks around whether Thomas Partey is going to be ready for the weekend, and there have to be question marks because he's only just returned to training, as far as we know, then you cannot risk Declan Rice from the start in this one, in my opinion. If you play with our first choice centre-backs and you've got Jakub Kivior and Tommy Asu, who can both tuck inside and support Jorginho uh, in various phases of play, as we highlighted after the Brentford game, uh, the other night, we highlighted it with Kivior and White, the positions that they take up to support Jorginho, then that's fine. If you don't play Saliba and Gabriel, then there are questions around whether or not you can play Jorginho, for me, because Jorginho needs that little bit more protection. He needs tip-top centre-back cover behind him, and, and that would give us that. Um, the rest of the midfield, for me, should be made up of Martin Odegaard and Fabio Vieira. Again, I hear you scream at your phones, at your laptops, at your tablets, at whatever you're listening to this or watching this on. And you're saying, why would you play Martin Odegaard in this? Because we need some continuity. We need some class. I'm not saying that you want him to pay uh, to play all 90 minutes or anything like that. But I just think if you start chopping and changing too much and you start taking key components out of your side, you lose your rhythm. and you know, I, I think that it's disrespectful to go away in the UEFA Champions League thinking that you can give every single one of the big guns a rest. And I don't think Martin Odegaard is one that desperately needs it. He didn't play much against Brentford, um, which works in his favour as well in terms of minutes. Then uh, on the left-hand side, providing he's fit enough, of course, he made the bench at Bournemouth uh, at the weekend. So you'd assume he is. I'd go with Leandro Trossard. I think we've... Um, We've missed him. You know, it would have been great to have him available in the absence of Gabriel Martinelli. He's back now, so he comes into the side for me. Reese Nelson would start on the right. I thought Reese Nelson was really, really unlucky, actually, not to get a start at Bournemouth based on the way that he played at Brentford on the Wednesday night. Again, it's about managing people's loads. And Reese Nelson is one who's had his fair share of injury problems. So I can understand that decision. And in an ideal world, I don't really like Nelson playing from the right. I've said that to you guys before. I think he's better suited to playing from the left. Perhaps him and Trossard could rotate. Perhaps that could be um, sort of something that's quite fluid as the game goes on. And through the middle, I'm going with Eddie and Ketia. I think with Eddie and Ketia, yeah, there is question marks around him. And people will say that Jesus should start through the middle because he is better than him. Like, it's as simple as that. And I think that when they're both available, we're, wa we're sort of wasting Jesus by sticking him out on the left, as we have done in recent weeks. But with Trossard coming back to fitness, with Reese Nelson uh, starting to stake a claim as well, I think there's a good case now to say that you don't need to be shoehorning one of our centre forwards on the left side and you can change it. Look, that means I'm leaving out Bukayo Saka. I think if there is a player that could do with a rest, he is one of them. And I think Gabriel Jesus could do with a rest as well, a break, just because I'm concerned about the workload given the nature of the injury that he's just recovered from. So my starting 11 to face Lons um, would be Aaron Ramsdale in goal, a back four of Takahiro Tomiyasu, William Saliba, Gabriel and Jakub Kivior. My midfield trio would be Jorginho, Martin Odegaard and Fabio Vieira with Reese Nelson and Leandro Trossard on the flanks and Eddie Enketia through the middle. 
I've explained why I'd play both the first choice centre backs. Um, I'd leave Kai Havertz out. I'd save him for City um, in the event that we can't play the Rice and Partey thing. Um, so, and you know, he's played a fair few minutes, so give him a bit of a breather. And Ketia up top, I've explained that as well. I think the only one that I haven't really explained that I probably should explain because I think a lot of you will be asking questions of this is why Emil Smith Rowe's not in the starting eleven. Now it was close. It was close. And um I'd be tempted to throw him in, but where I'm not entirely sure if I'm being honest with you. I mentioned, I think it was after Brentford. I mentioned why I don't think that Mikel Arteta would play. Emil Smith-Rowe in that left eight position over Fabio Vieira and why he hasn't been playing him over Kai Havertz. My thinking behind that is not because I don't think he's a good player, not because I don't think he can do it, because I think that Mikel Arteta is looking for balance in his midfield in terms of left foot, right foot. And I know that he has put Declan Rice in that position before. Declan Rice is an outstanding footballer and has the physicality and all the rest of it to be able to cope with you know, being a little bit out of his comfort zone in that sense. I know Smith-Rowe as a ball player is just as good, if not better. But I just think that that gives Vieira and Havertz an advantage um, over uh, over Emil Smith-Rowe when it comes to that left eight position. When Smith-Rowe started at Brentford the other night, he played on the right of that midfield uh, trio. So, um, yeah, I think that Mikel Arteta sees him as more like that kind of player. Um, rather than the one that will play on the left. He could start from the left wing where he's got that wide starting position and can drift inside with the ball. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see. But this is probably what I'd go with on balance. Maybe I'd take out Trossard if he's not quite fit enough and, and there is a risk there and I'd save him for the weekend and, and maybe Smith Rowe goes in there. But that's the 11 I eventually settled on. Um, Joe, Joe Allen says, can you please cover where you think Arteta will vary from your lineup? So I'm not sure that he will play Nelson from the right. Um, I'm not sure that he will leave Jesus out. I'm not sure um, that he will put Ramsdale back in goal. I'm not even sure that he'll play Saliba and Gabriel, although I would. Um, I would. So, yeah, um, that's where I think he'll probably do something different. Remember, this is not my predicted lineup. This is the lineup that I would probably pick if I were in charge. I think that team's got enough about it. And with what we have on the bench, I think we should have enough in our locker to go out uh, to Lons and collect all three points. Okay, prediction. Um, I'm going to go for a 3-1 Arsenal win. Clean sheet for Arsenal. I know we normally keep them on our travels, but I'm just not sure. Uh, away from home at a place like Lons. We'll have to wait and see. Hopefully we can get it. Um, but that's what I'm um, I'm going with. The other thing that he might vary, um, or, or the the other thing I beg your pardon that he might do differently is play Ben White. And he might put Tommy Asu at centre-back alongside Gabriel. Uh, maybe that's what, what he'll look to do. I don't know, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Remember, at the time of recording, we haven't had his press conference yet. So difficult uh, for me to get any kind of read. Um, just seen this on the football.london website. Um, unfortunately, Mikel Arteta's press conference has been cancelled. The Arsenal squad have been stuck at Luton Airport because of storms causing a delay to their flight out of France. So there you go. We're not going to get uh, a Mikel Arteta press conference to... Um, to give us uh, the download on that. We might get it, but it will be much closer to kickoff. 
I mentioned El Yawahi, um, the uh, Lons uh, forward, who I'm a little bit concerned about, just to give you some context around why this guy was linked with a number of clubs um, on the continent, um, you know, Europe, um, throughout Europe, I should say, and and with some clubs in the Premier League as well. 32 goals in 92 appearances for Montpellier prior to, prior to his move uh, for, uh, to Lons. So, yeah, this is a young man who's been um, impressing. That's pretty much a goal in, you know, every three games, slightly less than that on in terms of the average, uh, which is great. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think he's someone that we've got to watch out for. There was a couple of other players as well whose sort of names jumped out to me from conversations I've had with people that follow French football far closer than I do. Um, but let me just bring up those names in the meantime while that page is loading so that I can uh, give you a little bit more of an indication as to who to look out for. I just want to say a massive thank you uh, to Joe for his very, very kind super chat donation to the channel. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, really, really uh, appreciate it. Um, guys, by the way, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. It really, really does help. There's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 100 on the board, given how many of you uh, are with us live right now. Uh, also, um, have I told you to subscribe? I'm, I'm concentrating on the screen that I'm trying to load up and maybe lost my trailer thought there. Subscribe as we inch closer towards that 30K mark here on YouTube. We'd love to get there sooner rather than later. Um, a couple of other players to watch. Uh, Mercado, uh, the left back, has got a couple of goals. Uh, Dave Mercado, Colombian defender. It's pretty good. Is he Colombian or Ecuadorian? Those two flags always confuse me. Colombian. There you go. Um, Gilavogi um, is a player uh, that we should look out for. Morgan Gilavogi, just 25 years old. He's got a couple of goals as well. El Yawahi, I've already mentioned. So um, there is some talent in this side. And, uh, you know, they did overachieve last season in terms of league earn. And, you know, maybe things are leveling out a little bit now for Lons. And that's why they are where they are in the division. But we can't sleep on anybody. This is the UEFA Champions League. It's never easy. And I know people are going to knock me for then saying, well, look, I'd make those changes. How many changes have I made? I've made one at left back. I've made one at right back. I'd have made two in midfield. Um, and I'd have made two in the front line. So... Yeah, I've, I've made a fair few, but some of them I'm not classing as downgrades in any way, shape or form. Obviously, Jorginho is a downgrade on Rice. Obviously, Jesus is an upgrade on Enketia. You know, I, I get all of that. And I think Trossard is an upgrade on whoever was on Jesus playing at left wing. But you look at some of those players coming in, Tommy Asu, I trust him as much as I trust Ben White defensively. Ramsdale, I trust him as much as I trust... David Raya, Trossard, I trust him almost as much as I trust Martinelli. So how can I say anything about that? And I just think Bukayo Saka needs a bloody break. Um, so that's what I'm going with. Look, guys, going to take a really, really short pause and then I'll take a few of your questions before I sign out. So start throwing them into the chat box and then I'm going to go in, crack open a nice ice cold beer because I've got a long day tomorrow, long day on Wednesday as well. Um, and I'm going to watch Monday Night Football. Come on, Fulham, be back in just a sec. Welcome back to the programme. It's the Chronicles of Aguna. It's the big match preview ahead of Arsenal's trip to Lens in France. 
Um, really, really looking forward to this one. As I say, I'll be heading uh, over to France. I'm not going by plane, thankfully, uh, given that the storms have grounded some of those flights. Um, Ronald Green says, I hope Havertz starts centre forward. Um, he's probably the best one we have and he's never a midfielder. I actually thought he was quite good in the Community Shield um, when he played uh, in the centre forward position. And I wouldn't um, I wouldn't rule out him give, being given the nod in that position in certain games when Mikel Arteta feels that there's a tactical advantage to gain from using his physical presence because he does give you the ability to go that little bit longer. He does give you that physical presence. He does give you, um, you know, something to aim at. So there, there is some validity in the point that he gives you something different up front. And again, we talk about his position and all the rest of it, and there's been so much upheaval about that. And, and ultimately, I do think that, you know, we've got to be patient because he's playing in a different role. But the reason I think, or one of the reasons that Arsenal were willing to pay what they paid for him is because they see him as an option in multiple areas of the pitch. And versatility comes with value, I think. So I really do think that that's um, something to do with it. Mr. Joe Kerr says, Harry, this should be a routine win. I'm not intending to be dismissive of Lons. However, there is a gulf between the two sides, away game or not. Anything but a win, squad rotation aside, won't do. I agree that the standards are so high now at Arsenal that you want to be beating a team that are sitting 15th out of 18 in France. Of course you do. Um, of course you do. But it depends on the circumstances of the game, right? If he rotates really, really heavily, we don't play very well and we get out of there with a draw. Well, sometimes you've got to say, well, they were really good. The atmosphere was great. Difficult place to go. You just take the point and you move on. There's you, you don't always need to dwell on those results. Um, and the reason I say that is because in this group, I truly do believe that we've got margin for error. That's not to say that I want to see those errors and that I want to see us not perform at the level we know we can or are capable of, but there is a bit of margin for error. So I'm not going to lose my mind if we don't win this game is, is the point I'm trying to make. Um, Vlad says, is there a tactical reason why Havertz touches the ball um, less? I think... You know, I, I don't know. I, I haven't dug into the stats here. I haven't sort of really done a deep dive into this to try and figure out why that might be. Maybe that's one to do over the coming weeks. Um, but you've also got to remember that because he joins in with the forward line a lot, he ends up going up alongside, whether it be Jesus or Nketiah, a lot of his job is to occupy and it's not always easy to play a ball into the feet of a centre forward because although he starts in midfield, he does drift into that centre forward position. Again, I'm not making excuses for him. I know there'll be people in the comments to say, stop making excuses for him and all that nonsense. I just feel like that is something that's maybe been overplayed a little bit or overblown a little bit in terms of its significance. Um, but I'll, I'll look into that. I'm going to make a note of that um, because... I've not really thought about that in sort of isolation. Um, I'm going to put a note here. Havertz touches ball less. I'm going to put does he? Question mark. And why? Question mark. There you go. I'll have a look into that. Might give me something to do tomorrow while I'm traveling. Um, what? I, I, I don't get that one from Kenny. Sorry. What, what do you mean? <laughs> Harry, are you as angry as me for where these poo are? The same point as us. What? Where Spurs are? Is that what you're talking about? 
Is that what you're referring to? <laughs> Clarify that for me and then I'll answer. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Uh, Archangel says, who doesn't want to see Havertz up front instead of Nketi, especially against a low block? Yeah, that's a great example of where it could be useful for sure. But then Mikel Arteta would probably make the counter argument that if we're playing against a low block and we've got all of the ball and the team is sitting back and we don't need that extra body in midfield, then Kai Havertz would be pushed into a centre forward position anyway, although he wouldn't be there on paper. So, yeah. Um, O'Malley says, and this is interesting, I haven't looked into this either, but Xhaka's touches dropped last year in the new left eight role. And I did think about that when I was answering that question, but I wasn't sure if that was true. Again, I'll look into it. Xhaka's touches at left eight. I mean, we do tend to funnel a lot of our play down the right-hand side through Odegaard and Saka, don't we? So that could be something to do with it. Um, <laughs> Kenny was talking about Tottenham. Am I angry at where they are and the fact they've got the same points as us? I'll be angry if they're there come the end of the season. I'm not worried at the moment. Let them get carried away. They are getting carried away. They really struggled to break down nine-man Liverpool um, at the weekend. And it's interesting how narratives can change and, and how they can be a little bit misleading and, and how fickle people are in terms of, you know, in terms of like how they draw their conclusions, right? So if Tottenham didn't benefit from that own goal uh, deep into stoppage time, then we're talk the narrative is around how valiant an effort Liverpool put in and how disappointing Spurs were in that they couldn't break them down to go and win the game. And then there'd be questions around whether they've actually replaced Harry Kane and all of that stuff would come up again, wouldn't it? But because of an own goal in the 96th minute or whatever it was, they're now being spoken about as title challenges in some people's minds. It's absolute nonsense. They will fade. They won't be able to maintain this all season. Not because I don't think Andrew's done a good job, not because I don't think they've progressed, but just because I don't think their squad is deep enough and I think they will come unstuck at some point. So um, that's my take on them. Um, let's take this one from uh, Salah, who says, do you think Liverpool can sue the PGMOL? I don't, um, and I don't think Liverpool are going to get anywhere with this. But I do think Liverpool are doing the right thing by making a big song and dance of it. And I wish other clubs would do it too. Because only when the clubs with clout start to really um, push on something, do the Premier League actually pay enough attention to enforce real and positive change? Um, I thought Liverpool's statement last night was a good statement. I think they were right to highlight that it questions and brings into question the integrity of our sport, because that's exactly how I feel as well. And I've seen a lot of rival fans go, well, you know, who do Liverpool think they are? Why are Liverpool making this statement? Why are Liverpool raising this? Why are Liverpool, why do Liverpool believe that they're any more special, any more important than any other club that's had a bad decision go against them? And I say to those people, forget the tribalism, put that to one side, because that's not what this is about. What we need are higher officiating standards. I'm not saying sack all the individuals and all of that stuff. People make mistakes all the time. But as a as a collective, the PGMOL need to fix this and the standards, a collective standard needs to improve. So for Liverpool to come out and say this, I don't think for me this is Liverpool believing that they're holier than thou or anything like that. I think for me that this is what needs to happen. I think big clubs that have the power, weight and clout that Liverpool do need to make it clear to the Premier League that the product 
and the integrity of the competition is being let down by the standard of refereeing. And if Liverpool coming out and making statements like that prompts others to do it, and that in turn prompts change, then I'm all for it. Because if I were a Liverpool fan, I'd be livid. How on earth um, do you get over that? You know, you defend valiantly with nine men um, for all that time. You concede that um, late goal, which breaks your heart anyway. But then you go back and think about it and actually you should have been ahead in the game anyway. And maybe the outcome of the, the fixture is completely different. So I understand their frustration. I've got no problem with the statement. Put tribalism to one side, as I say, because if we don't, then we're never going to move forward with this. The problem is, and I said this on, on the 90 Min show earlier today, is that right now there's loads of noise around this, the refereeing standards because of what we've just seen. A lot of that noise is coming from Liverpool um, Football Club and coming from Liverpool supporters, which is understandable. The problem you've got is that, you know, that noise is going to be drowned out to some degree by rival fans not really taking this on as an issue and but because they're saying, well, it's Liverpool and they got this against us or we were robbed in this game, et cetera, et cetera. The minute the tribalism comes back in, the PGMOL and those accountable for the poor standard of officiating are winning because their mistake that should be under huge scrutiny is being, you know, blocked out because of the fact that the tribalism kicks in and takes over. So I think unless everybody comes together and everybody um, you know, fights this in terms of fighting for better standards. As I say, I'm not calling for individuals to be sacked. I've been talking about this all day on TV, um, radio stuff I've been doing, and I've never once mentioned the name of the official. Why? Because to me, it doesn't matter. The collective standard of the officials in the Premier League needs to improve. And if we sit there focusing on individuals, then we're looking at the, you know, the wrong issue, in my opinion. Yeah, they probably on an individual level can do better and should be better. But ultimately, there are breakdowns in these processes that are allowing some of these mistakes to slip through the cracks. A good example would be, you know, why did the why did the, the VAR official only have to say check complete? If he said, I've watched it and Luis Diaz is onside confirmed, the goal should stand confirmed, then this confusion that we're hearing happened whereby the VAR referee um, thought that, the goal had been given on field. So when he said check complete, he was thinking he was confirming the goal. That doesn't happen because if he says Luis Diaz is onside and the goal should stand, then that triggers something in the referee and his assistants in the stadium. And they go, hold on a minute. Wait, wait. You do know that this goal was ruled out on the field, right? And then he goes, oh, well, it should have stood. And then you get to the correct decision. This whole thing of being obsessed by how long it takes and trying to speed it up so that people aren't complaining online and all the rest of it, you know, it's irrelevant if you come to the wrong decision. So I'd rather they take a little bit more time and they get those decisions right. But tribalism is going to kill us because I already saw people last night going, a few Tottenham fans actually, former Tottenham players going online and saying, well, are they going to reverse the decision they got against us in the Champions League final? Blah, blah, blah. That is totally irrelevant in this case. That is totally irrelevant in this case. I'm not sitting here and saying you should never accept apologies from people. You should never acknowledge that people can make mistakes. It's part of human nature. We've all made mistakes. I've made mistakes. You've made mistakes. We've all done it and we will all do it going forward. It happens, right? But 
the accountability is is with the PGMOL because the overall refereeing standard is not good enough. This isn't about one man um, or, or two men or three men or even four men. Just as a collective, the standards are not good enough and they need to improve. And if the only way that's going to happen is clubs coming out and, um, you know, being really, really vocal and essentially threatening to do damage to the Premier League as a brand and as a product by putting all of this out in the public domain, demanding the audio, which Liverpool have done this evening, then, and that's the only way we're going to get changed, then so be it. I'm all for it. Anyway, guys, uh, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so, so much uh, for joining me. Um, apologies if I didn't get around to your questions. We will be bringing you lots more content over the course of the week. So uh, make sure your notifications are turned on. Make sure you're subscribed. What a week I've got coming up, by the way. I'm heading to Lons tomorrow for the game against Arsenal. I come straight back through the night and then I'm off uh, for another Champions League game on the continent. But I'm going to keep it a surprise and I'll share it with you guys in the form of a vlog. Uh, so really, really looking forward to that. Two UEFA Champions League games for me on the continent in different cities, in different countries. And I'm going to be sharing uh, the destination of the second one with you in the form of a vlog. So stay tuned. Uh, can't wait to share that with you and I'll catch you all soon. Until then, take care of yourselves. Up the Arsenal. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.